0: personally, I like to think a lot about this as if I'm a consumer. And so personally, I think one of the biggest things you can do for yourself is investing in really good design. A lot of people tend to just pull kind of like off-the-shelf design, which definitely, to some degree, it can work. But the problem is with modern consumerism, trust is very much articulated through design Mm -hmm. and through cleanliness and minimalism.
1: Everyone, Welcome back to the show. Don't forget that I want to send you the power nine if you have not gotten it yet. If you have, then you know how powerful it is. And all you have to do is go over to Instagram and message me the word power. Don't message me anything else. Only the word power. No exclamation points, no emojis, just the word power. And I want to send it to you. And it is the thing that Chris and I have been doing for over a decade in really believe that that was the start of the way of thinking that can create the future that you want that can attract what you want that can make sure that you are keeping in the forefront of your mind all of your goals so you can use it as a journal prompt as well but just send me the word power on instagram messages and i'm going to send you our power nine you can do it in less than two minutes a day i'm telling you you have two minutes to change your life you do you can do this all right, so today is one of my, I would say one of those mentors who you're like, um, you're my online mentor and you don't know it. Like, so when I got on with Nick, which I'd also done a Mentor Pass coaching session, if you don't know what that is, you can actually go on to Mentor Pass and see if there's anyone on there. Maybe some of your favorite online mentors, some of your favorite business people who you can book an hour of their time and they just go on there and like give you the most Incredible advice. So, I got to do this with Nick before this podcast as well, which really, really rocked my world. But he is one of my mentors for direct to consumer marketing. And I really binge his podcast because I have this incredible hydration product coming out that I cannot wait. And it's got so many more details than that. But he's been helping me in answering a lot of questions on what that should look like to launch a consumer product so if you're ever thinking of doing that this podcast is going to be great but he's also just a person who knows how to sell online so if you love selling online if you want to learn more about selling online you're going to love this podcast so he's widely known as the d2c guy he's a forbes 30 under 30 member AdWeek's young and influential and a resource that brands and investors turn to for growth so he's the active ceo of sharma brands which is insane and amazing and also hooks where clients include Feastables, Chamberlain Coffee, Everlane, Jim Beam, Poopery, and more. We all know Poopery. Come on. All right. And before entering the e commerce world, Nick worked on social media strategies for A list celebrities, including Pitbull, Priyanka Chopra hopefully I got that name right, and magic, to natively increase distribution and increase fan interaction. So he's definitely got a wide array of things that he has done, which brings in so much perspective and wisdom. And I hope that you enjoy this podcast as much as I did. So let's get started. Nick, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: Of course, I'm excited to be here.
1: Normally, I'm listening to you on your podcast, and you don't talk back to that. me when I ask you questions. So this, <laughs> well, I'm this, here now.
0: This, here this is going to be super cool.
1: <laughs> and also, I love listening to you guys because you're hilarious, and you're you're <laughs> so you. real. Like, I was just listening the other day, and I'm like, this is the shit I want to be able to say, but they just, they just <laughs> say it. So,
0: Yeah, sometimes we profession. run a little too close to the sun, but uh, hopefully it's for all for the best
1: it's for the best at least it's for me so okay I'm so excited that you're here I was just telling you before you got on you're one of those people where I'm like you actually make it so hard for me because there are so many directions to go in and -hmm. that's just what I want to warn people on before this podcast is this man and his wisdom can help you in so many different ways that this is just going to be the opening up of his world, the Nick Sharma world to your world and just know that there are a million ways that he's going to be able to help you throughout the process. So you're going to need to go dig deeper. You're going to need to go subscribe to the podcast and do all of those things because this is just going to be like a buffet, like a little bit of a sampling of everything today. I love it. Let's first dive into, you have so many companies and things going on. Can you just tell (laughs) me what those things are?
0: Yeah, there's definitely a handful. So we have three (laughs) service businesses. Mm -hmm. that work primarily to e-commerce businesses that do usually over 25 or 30 million in revenue. That's kind of our sweet spot. We have one business called Sharma Brands. This is where we do a ton of launches for brands. So Companies like Jolie the showerhead or Feastables or Sprit Society, you know, these companies come to us. We help them launch. We also do a ton of scaling. So companies like a Everlane or a Crocs or Love Wellness, they'll also come to us and we really help them across scaling e-commerce and the direct consumer channel. We have another company called 1180 which I think by the time this drops will be rebranded to a character. And essentially what we do is customer acquisition, again, for brands that are in that 50 million plus range, customer acquisition focused on secondary presence. So it's this idea of leveraging third-party internet publishers, content creators, influencers, and other platforms with our targeting and media buying and, and messaging and learnings. So you put kind of first-party info and third-party social proof together, and that's how we call it secondary presence. Mm. And then the third company is called Hooks. That's our most recent one. That's where we pretty much do landing pages as a service. And so companies come to us and they might be launching on TV, they might be launching on TikTok, they might be just launching into Target or Walmart, or they just want to make their emails, for example, more efficient. And so they'll come to us, we'll help them build landing pages, fully focused on driving conversion and AOV. And we can pretty much turn around landing pages pretty quickly. And then outside of that, I've got the newsletter. There's this newsletter I write, the podcast you mentioned, All the free time outside of that, I'm usually just chilling, maybe watching some basketball, sleeping, or working out. Who's your team? I would say Warriors, but I always get hate for saying the Warriors because (laughs) they're so good. But I lived in the Bay for five years, and Mm. I think like three or four of those five, they kept winning. So I became a Warriors fan. Before that, I was a Lakers fan. It's hard to be a fan of the Knicks. I'm in New York now. It's really hard to be a Knicks fan.
1: <laughs> oh man! Well, my husband was into the Packers, and I became a Packer fan when they were doing really well. And then I was like, "What right. the hell?" <laughs> what
0: yeah, happened? it's not fun being a fan this after was a while. Not as much fun. <laughs> it's not what we're I signed still up there,
1: for. but we're—I totally know what you mean. Okay, that is an overwhelming and amazing amount of things that you have going on. I think first and foremost, I just want to like know how your brain even started to say, "I'm ready for this next." thing because that is like next level leadership that you have to be in order to run all of those things and to have them be as successful as they are. So did you always know that you were able or capable of like handling so many things at once or how did that layering come?
0: It was definitely not planned. Sharma Brands was the first company that started and that wasn't even planned. That was, you know, me getting opportunities to consult with other brands and kind of help them in different places where I had experience And then, you know, COVID happened and all of a sudden everybody was looking for support or help around e-commerce, direct to consumer, replacing POs that were being sold at Target, Walmart, Costco that were now pulled and, you know, their projected $300 million of revenue is now gone. And Mm -hmm. so we just ended up getting a ton of inbound, which kind of forced me to say, okay, well, uh, you know, I could keep doing these like little consulting things or I could build a team and we could take this opportunity. So that's what I ended up doing. It was very stressful to do at the time. That was like the first time I've done that, put people on my payroll. You know, I'm not responsible for somebody's rent payment, for food mm. on their plate, for food on their kids' plates, their spouse's plate. And so, you know, I, I wish I had actually hired like a business coach back then or somebody who I could pay to just shill my problems, you know, things that are going through my mind. There's so many nights where I would just like look at the... Uh, you know, like, oh man, this client's not, they didn't pay net 14. They're supposed to pay net 14 payrolls in two days. I don't have the Delta in between, but eventually it all works out. So Sharma Brands was even started as an accident. Then with 1180, that company, one of my best friends for years now, actually he was working at a direct consumer brand And basically said, I'm working insanely hard right now. Like I'm spending so many hours working. If I'm going to work this hard, I'd rather do it for something where I'm building my own equity, my own, you know, my time should equate to equity. It shouldn't just equate to a standard check every month. Mm -hmm. So we had basically this framework of secondary presence. Him and I actually started running it together six years ago. And it was very successful. It always has been successful. And so we decided let's build a company around this Mm. and see if we can just go get 10 brands to pay us to do this. And the idea was, you know, it's going to take as much work to get 10 terrible brands as it will to get 10 really amazing brands. So let's just go get 10 really amazing brands. And that's it. That to us is success. And so we had this goal of 10 brands. We started with two kind of as, a, as like a beta test, you know, you could call it more, it was more of like a side hustle at that point, just seeing if this thing worked, it did work. And then we decided, okay, he's going to make the leap, he's going to go full time. Then that sort of started and then just kept going. And then the third one, which is hooks, very similar thing. Landing pages is something that we build for clients at Sharma Brands all the time. It's usually one of the first things that we do when a new brand wants to work with us. And it's... Honestly, one of the fastest ways to make any sort of traffic or ad spend work way harder for you. And so we were getting so much inbound from different companies saying, I'm launching in Target, I'm launching on TikTok, we're launching into a new category. We don't really know how to explain it, or our site is not configured to be able to explain the depth of the product that we need to explain. Can you help us build a landing page? And at this point, I was also able to leverage the newsletter audience. And so I said, I thought, okay, we're getting so much inbound. Maybe there's an opportunity here. So I put up a Google form and said, you know, fill this out. If you would pay five grand for a landing page, we'll do the strategy, the research. We'll have copywriters, designers, you know, UX designers, UI designers, developers. We'll give you the file back. So you as the founder can pay for one page, duplicate it 10 or 15 or 20 times, change the copy on your own, but all the hard part is done. And, you know, we had two or 300 people sign up overnight. And I said, okay, this is we should launch this thing. And again, over there, it was not planned. So it was like we said, okay, we'll launch. It's me. It's one other guy. We launch it together. And you know, then it's like we have all these problems. We're, I mean, we've basically been like sprinting uphill. Is kind of how I describe it. With rocks just falling as we're sprinting up. Like you know, too many clients coming on at one point. We don't have the supply. Just some random things that come up as you kind of build a service business. A lot of it too, we're, you know, it's all bootstrapped. So it's it's very much chicken and the egg. Do you hire a lot up front or do you wait for the demand? But then you wait for the demand and now you have upset clients and no one to fulfill. And so it's been a very interesting balance. Every company I try to learn something when starting, cause you know, 1180 was a much easier start than Sharma Brands. Hooks was a very easy start compared to 1180 and Sharma Brands. And I think the thing I learned with Hooks was that, you know, basically around making sure you have the resources to not end up with upset clients.
1: Mm. Okay. What would you go back and say to yourself from the beginning? Like, what would be three pieces of advice if you knew you were going to build the same exact thing? Mm-hmm. And you can already see it coming. What would the three things be that you'd be like, look, you're going to need to do this from the beginning?
0: I think one would be the business coach. Like the business coach helps not only with thinking about how to hire and mm-hmm. how to prioritize, and even just, I mean, like the things I've learned around frameworks and team leading and, you know, how to equip other team leaders with things so their teams are more efficient, even just the simple change of going from, goals and responsibilities to results, you know, nobody has goals in our company. Everybody has results. It's not things they aspire to do. It's things they have to cross off. So kind of like all these little tricks, plus the fact that I can go to him and say, and this guy, by the way, his name is Kevin Cape. He's an amazing guy. You know, I can go to him and say, oh, you know, there's an argument. This is the problem. These are the people arguing. You know, it's I don't really have a dog in this fight. And also, I don't really know who's right or how to go about this. Or how do I do this in a way that, you know, doesn't disrupt company culture? Or, you know, I have this employee. They're doing this. Is this grounds for termination? You know, just somebody kind of Mm bounce things off of who's already had 40 years of experience operating at a C-level so, that's one that I think everybody who really wants to build something great should do because it's like, uh, it's like if you're taking the SAT, it's like going to the SAT prep. You know, mm. it's like having a tutor. That's basically what it is. You're paying for a tutor for business. Mm. The second one would probably be higher help for the things that you're bad at because mm. the things that you're bad at, you're not motivated to do because you're not good at them. And as a result, they keep falling in the priority list you know, I hired a chief of staff recently, probably a few months ago, completely changed my life. Mm. And, you know, the role description for that was, I need somebody who can do the things I need to do that don't require my active thinking. And that person has completely changed the way that my time is scheduled, the calls that I'm on, the things that I do with my time, the things I focus on, which has been really good. And I wish I did that, you know, a year or two earlier. And then I think for the third one, I would say you know this was res, this responsibilities to results change happened probably like two or maybe a year ago it should have happened like at the very beginning i think it's a completely you know it's a great framework for making sure that you can hold yourself accountable. It's a great framework for other team leaders or, or directors on your, in your company to be able to you feel confident that you, you know if your results are getting done, somebody else below them has results to get done. It's a very transparent way to keep people accountable. When it comes time for a promotion, there's no question about oh, you know, how much do you like the role or what do you how do you feel you did? It's just like, "Cool, what was crossed off and what was not crossed off?" you know, it's very binary, which I love. And it also, because it's so binary, it makes it very easy for people to see what is their potential at a company? What is the company doing for them? What are they doing for the company? And it just makes things very easy to see. Whereas, you know, with responsibilities or goals or kind of just like owning a swim lane, it's very ambiguous and, you know, not clearly defined.
1: That is so good. Cause I can't tell you the amount of days that I would struggle with employees in the past where it's like, it takes away from you having to be the bad guy and having to explain so show so much and explain so much. It's literally just all there for you. How do you, is there a certain way that you track results? What do you, is there something that you use?
0: I think, uh, right now we just mainly use notion. So everybody's got quarterly and annual results. And so that, you know, I have my results, my results filter down into, you know, my, let's say it's like I have to do $100,000 in revenue for something. Yeah, That result filters down to the five people who report into me. And it's like, okay, what does their contribution need to be for me to hit my goal? And their teams do the same thing. So let's say, Lori, you're the director of design. What do your five designers need to do to fulfill your results? Mm. And that will create their own individual results. And so it's like everybody's results ladder up. Mm-hmm. and you know it makes team touch bases very quick. You don't go through random things. You just go through the results. It makes check-ins very quick. You just go through the results. It mm-hmm. makes performance reviews very quick. You just go through the results, talk about what was done, why something isn't done. Is something on time? Is it not on time? And it also just helps you diagnose, okay, well, if we didn't get this done, then that means that we are lacking resources in some place or we're lacking process in some place or we're lacking urgency in some place, you can very quickly diagnose what's not being done and figure out why.
1: Mm, That is so good. I was just on another podcast yesterday with Robert, god i said his name wrong but he's the influence he's the guy who wrote the influence book which is so good and he was talking about how in these meetings like just having each person go around and give a verbal yes like asking them that question and getting a verbal yes of can you get this result are you able to get this result by then he said it raised it by like it was crazy the percentage that it raised it by so i'm going to take what you just taught mixed with that And then hopefully we're going to be golden. Um, Okay, I love that. That was so much gold. Where would you say if somebody is just starting out and they're wanting to launch a brand, they've got a great idea around it, where would that person start?
0: Yeah, a couple of places. I mean, you know, I think one is, I think a lot of people need to properly check what they're doing in the sense that, you know, more in like a checks and balances way really think about is what you're putting out there needed by the market, wanted by the market. You know, there's so many founders I've seen where I just think, man, if they only had a real homie around them, they would have told them this is not an idea worth spending two years on and raising a million dollars. Or this happens a lot in beverage. You know, like sometimes you try one of these new fancy drinks and you're just like, how did somebody not tell the founder that this tastes so bad, you know?
1: I I think that. All of the time.
0: Yeah. And it's mind blowing. And it yeah. only hurts everybody involved. The investors mm-hmm. get hurt. The founder gets hurt. The team that gets hired on is going to get laid off. You know, like there's so many people that get affected in there. So I think it's really important to make sure that what you're doing is something that's truly needed by the market, wanted by the market. And there's ways to test that. You can do anything from just looking at trend reports or statistics reports looking at public company earning equivalent so if you're starting a shoe company go look at public earnings documents from shoe companies if you're starting a cleaning company go look at the earnings documents from Procter and Gamble or Unilever so i think that's like one area of research you can do i think also it's very easy now to you know jump on TikTok create an account for this brand and just start talking and see if there's a response in the market you know that's probably the easiest freest cheapest most accessible way to validate if something is going to work. The next level would be, okay, this is what I would do at least. I would create a fake brand for what I'm trying to sell. So if I'm trying to sell a scalp serum, I'll create a fake brand for it, put a mock-up of it up on a landing page, you know, which is basically a single page website. You explain the benefits of the thing, what it does, why it's different, how it compares to others on the market, you know, how many uses you get out of it, before and afters maybe, almost as if you're selling it on a, on a full website, but you're basically scrapping this together and then you can drive some traffic there. So again, it could either be from content you're creating organically, or you can go and spend some dollars on Facebook or any of these yeah. ad platforms, drive some traffic and just validate that, okay, I'm driving people here, what are they doing? Are they giving me their email? Are they placing a pre-order? Are they buying a $1 deposit for when it comes out? Whatever goal you have for that traffic, you want to try to judge how much does the market really want what you're putting out there. And that's just another great indicator to save you, right? You might spend, let's say if you spent all these dollars on paid advertising and a good designer and a good copywriter, all this all in might cost on the high end 10 grand, but that ten grand is way better to spend than you know two years of time, tens of thousands of dollars. You know, maybe mortgaging your house. Like, there's so many things that people, entrepreneurs and founders, will do to continue their business without first validating it. And so, I think validation is the biggest piece that a lot of people overlook, and especially because entrepreneurship is very glamorized. And it seems it can be easy, you know, oh, I set this product up, I run some ads and boom, I've got a business and next thing you know, I'm in Target. But there's a ton of ups and downs. And if, if there's not validation, you're not going to have the motivation to continue to persevere when you're constantly walking uphill.
1: Mm, okay. Hey, y'all, I'm so excited to share with you that this podcast, Earn Your Happy, is now a part of the Growth Day Podcast Network. Truly, this is like one of the most exciting things that has ever happened to me. I'm telling you, I no longer feel like I'm doing this alone. And I actually get to collaborate with the people who host the podcast that I'm obsessed with, like that I have been listening to myself, who inspired me to start a podcast, who have taught me about how to go and do the thing, like the original people who got me motivated through listening to their podcasts. You guys, a bunch of us are coming together to bring more More growth to the world, and to support shows and brands that we believe in. And one of my friends are also on this network, and I'd love for you to go subscribe to their show. You guys, I just had Danielle Canty on of the Boss Babe Podcast. She co-hosts it with her other amazing co-host and one of my friends, Natalie Ellis. You guys, you can go check out that podcast on mine. It's episode nine twenty-five, and Danielle and I talk all about burnout and how that could be showing up in your life, and most importantly, how to prevent it. But I want to tell you, if you have not gone and checked out the Boss Bay podcast yet, Go subscribe because it is one of the largest online communities for ambitious women and female entrepreneurs. And I know that if you're listening to the show, chances are that's probably you. You guys, they have 3.6 million followers and 380,000 subscribers. The Boss Babe podcast is the place where they share real behind the scenes of building successful businesses, achieving peak performance, and learning how to balance it all. Most of all, you guys, truly, these women are in my life. Danielle and Natalie are people that I text on a weekly, monthly basis when I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel stuck. What should I do? I tune into their podcast, you guys, to learn. Even though they're my friends, I am still like crazy obsessed with this podcast because I learn something new every single time I listen. It makes me be a better podcaster. It makes me be a better businesswoman. It just makes me be better and more confident out in the world because they're so real and raw. And I can tell you that in the moments where I have had horrible days, down days, I've either gone and listened to this podcast or I've texted them because these are the people who truly get it. You want to listen to the people who are walking in the same footsteps that you are. you guys go check out the boss babe podcast. You're not going to be sorry. And it's just going to like make you way smarter and you're going to have way more fun. So go check it out. Hey y'all, if you didn't know, earn your happy is now a part of the growth day podcast network. This is so exciting to me because I have been looking for a really good home for the show for I can't even tell you. Years, literally. And now I've finally been able to come together and collaborate with other people who have incredible shows and I want to share them with you. One of the shows is Motivation with Brendan Bouchard. And you guys, if you don't know about the beginning of my career, I literally started with Brendan Bouchard's work. It's how I launched one of my very first online courses and membership sites was because he gives so much advice that you can integrate and implement immediately. And that's what you're going to get on the show, not just motivation, but you're going to learn exactly how to get your stuff out in the world. And not just that, but Brennan runs in the most incredible group of humans who are really doing the thing out in the world that you want to be doing. So go check it out, go subscribe to motivation with Brendan Bouchard. I promise you, this is going to be one of those shows that no matter when you tune in, you're going to get value. Like it's not one of those that you're like, God, I listened for 30 minutes and I didn't get what I wanted. Like from the beginning, you're going to get something that changes your life or changes your business. So go check it out. Motivation with Brendan Bouchard. I know you're going to love it. I'm obsessed. So what would the next place be as far as setting up let's say they they have that validation now they've got a product that they think is going to be amazing let's talk to people who maybe don't have a really large budget or maybe maybe they're bootstrapping yeah it, it, there's so many things to invest in oh my god there's you know design there's copywriters there's landing pages what do you yeah. think are some of the most important things to get your ducks in a row in the beginning to invest in
0: so Personally, I like to think a lot about this as if I'm a consumer. And so personally, I think one of the biggest things you can do for yourself is investing in really good design. A lot of people tend to just pull kind of like off the shelf design, which definitely to some degree it can work. But the problem is with modern consumerism, trust is very much articulated through design Mm. and through cleanliness and minimalism. So I think for me, I think like if trust is 80% of getting a sale, you know, you can get 40% of the way there just by being a new brand with good design. The second thing I think is you want to generate social proof. So, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to sell a thousand units before you can start collecting reviews. You know, if I'm launching a product, I'll just ship you some and say, Hey, Lori, do you mind writing me a review? I'd love to send you something in exchange. You write me a review, you know, you get to try the product, I get a review out of it, helps us both out. And I think getting really scrappy with that is totally worth it. And then very quickly, you'll start to realize where kind of your strengths are as an entrepreneur. Some people are really good at conveying the the vision and the mission of the company and talking about the efficacy of the product. There's a brand called Armra, which is a colostrum supplement. Their Mm -hmm. founder is exactly like this. Mm -hmm. She can get on a call or on video. And when she talks, you feel like, wow, this is a billion dollar, you know, why am I not on this? Mm -hmm. And some people are like that. And those people might do very well with organic content. Others, they require the other side of it. So they say, you know, I'll focus on product and I need somebody else to help me with marketing or distribution, or they might just pay for distribution. There's a ton of people who out the gate can pay for ads. The thing though you have to keep in mind is, do you have the margin to do that? Do you have the luxury to afford being able to spend dollars to get people to your site? Or do you have to go You know the first route, which is how do I create stuff that's so interesting, it gets in front of people and makes them want to come to my site? Which personally, I do think if you're a new business, if you're bootstrapped, you almost have to do it the first way. You don't have the luxury to figure that out later. That's probably how I would go about it. I think a lot of it is really focused on making sure you have a good product. And then it's making sure that you're getting that product in front of people. And to do that, you have to have good design. You have to have good copywriting. You know, I also think, I mean, leveraging something like ChatGPT, you know, you can get very specific with what type of persona you want it to write for or what type of audience you want it to write for. I can go in and say, actually, one thing I've been doing recently is I'll give it somebody's name who has an internet presence. So I'll say, I'm selling to Lori Harder write this product description as if it's something that Lori would be interested in.
1: So good. That is crazy. Okay, I love that. Okay, audience acquisition. So maybe people are listening, they're like, okay, I can, I, I totally have that dialed in. Like I'm a person who can go out there and talk about the product. But how do we start getting outside? Let's go organically first. And then let's mm-hmm. talk about ads. How do we start getting outside of our group, of our current audience?
0: So it's probably a couple ways. One is if you go the organic route, Mm -hmm. you are basically trying to ride the algorithms. The algorithms are like waves in an ocean and you want to try to surf those waves as best as you can without falling. Mm. So if you're trying to target a different type of audience or go after a different type of consumer, you really just have to change how you think about the content. Mm. So there's actually a branding exercise I love doing, which it's kind of like 73 questions with Vogue. Mm. So we would sit down and say, okay, let's take Light Pink, for example. If Light Pink was, she had a clear Friday night, what would she do? Mm. Would she go on a date? Would she go out with her friends and have a glass of wine and then come home early? Is she going out clubbing? You know, is she doing a yoga at 7 p.m. at Equinox, then coming home and sleeping because it was a long week? Mm. Saturday morning, what is she doing? Is she waking up hungover? Is she going to Soul Cycle? Is she going for a walk? What does Light Pink retweet on her Twitter account? What does she post on Instagram stories? What does she repost from other accounts on Instagram stories? What type of stuff does she DM or what does she comment on? You know, where does she get her news? What type of content is she interested in? And so doing this exercise helps you build different personas that you want to go after or figure out rather, how do you react to the persona you're trying to go after? And so in my mind, the way I think about it is... To go after different audiences or on the organic side, you have to reorient the way that you think about the personas. You have to rethink who are you going after and what does that mean that you have to change in your content to try to do that. Now, if you're doing that the paid way, then you can just easily change the audiences you target on Facebook. Or wherever you're driving the ads. And then you can, you also still have to change the creative. So at the end of the day, you still kind of have to do that exercise to really understand how do I stay consistent from, you know, the first touch point they see this brand to the very last. But I think doing these exercises helps a lot. And, you know, organic is definitely harder, but I've also noticed that people who do it well organically, they have a hundred times more success when they turn the paid ads on because Mm -hmm. paid ads are essentially like taking an image and just stretching it out from the side, from the corner. The more you stretch it, the blurrier it gets. Mm -hmm. And so if you have really good organic content, it's like having a really high resolution image. It just stretches really well Mm -hmm. compared to when you put a terrible image in the middle and then try to pull it out.
1: Mm. Okay, that exercise actually—I was just thinking about it. It really helps even come up with all of your social pillars, like how you're going to talk, how you're going to exactly. talk to people, on and not social.
0: only that, but anybody who touches the brand can now see mm. this and say, you know, if there's a question of, okay, how do we spread, How do we respond to this Facebook comment, mm. or how do we respond to this DM, or what does customer service do from a tone of voice standpoint?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, they
0: can all see this document and very quickly assume how to go about it.
1: Mm. Okay, so I got to have a call with you on mentor pass, which was so cool. Yeah. Um I'm so glad you do that. That is like the coolest yeah. thing ever. It, and it was so valuable and helpful for us. You guys, you can if you want to go get a little slice of of Nick on just something dialed in for your business, maybe you have specific questions. That was a really, really cool way to be able to do it. Um and then I did it once and I'm like, damn it, how do I get like a, a season pass? So <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that I had asked you about on there was talking about, you know, different kind of like these giveaways or collaborations. Like when do we know, and sometimes we were, or you were talking about how sometimes when you give things away, it can attract the wrong type of audience. And I've actually spent a lot of money on one of the giveaways that did get me not a very good customer. So when do we know when to like, collab with certain people? And when do we know to do certain like free giveaways or what does that look like?
0: Yeah, good question. So generally, the people who are coming for free stuff are not, they're not good long-term customers. Mm -hmm. That said, they can be if it's done at the right time. So for example, if you are running a free giveaway to your existing customers, it's a different game. Mm -hmm. But if you're running a free giveaway as a way to attract people to the brand, you're now already bringing in people who are just looking for something free. They're not really interested in anything else. Mm. Free is like such a strong word, especially in American culture. Everybody loves free stuff, you know, like even, you know, if you think about like clubs at at school, free pizza is how we got, you know, so many people to different (laughs) clubs, right? But the quality of those people is not that great. And so, I think doing something like a giveaway is great to reward customers who have been with you for a while. It's almost more, I would say, less something of a giveaway, more of something like surprise and delight or creating an opportunity for them there. But the free giveaway stuff, you know, especially to new customers, people who aren't already in your brand ethos, it's just going to yield lower quality people a lot of publishers like to do the free stuff or or big media accounts they like to do it because they don't really have to sell anything for them you know their monetization comes from people getting to their site and then mm. boom there's six ads there and that's how they make money mm. so for them it's actually more efficient to just get people there for free but as a brand it's not that efficient and you know what it does is let's say you get 10,000 people right you send an email out to these 10,000 people, the open rate is going to be very low, might be 10%. Then out of that 10%, the people who do come to your site, they're going to hit your site. All of your advertising pixels are going to register this person as somebody who's interested in your brand when really they aren't. Mm. And so it's going to tell your ad platforms that, hey, this person who came, they're interested. Let's go find more people like this. Oh, man. It creates this downstream effect that just, you know, especially if you're on a tight advertising budget, Mm -hmm. it's not in your favor to do this because the quality, just everything gets affected.
1: Mm. Let's talk about ads for a minute, because I think there's a lot of people who they're dabbling in their own ads. I know that we have been through a lot of different agencies in my career. And I, in the beginning, I did not even know what to look for when I'm looking for someone who's good at ads. What are a couple of things that we can ask, first of all, to kind of find out, is this a good person to work with? And then what makes a good bad? What makes a bad ad?
0: Okay. So if you think about what makes a good ad, in my opinion, it is just constantly answering a few questions. Of course, from a technical standpoint, you have a good hook, you have a good story, you have a good call to action. But in reality, this ad, it should be it should appeal to somebody who knows everything about your category and the problem you're solving, as well as the brand that you are and the product you're pushing specifically. But it should also work for people who have no idea about those two things as well. So if they don't know your category or problem and they don't know your brand or product, it should still work. So I like to call it more like full funnel ad creative rather than thinking about what's top of funnel and what's bottom of funnel. I like to approach it more as full funnel and the questions you want to answer is what is it? Why does it exist? How is it going to help me? You know, how does it compare to other competitors on the market and why how soon can I get it? Mm-hmm. If you answer those five questions, I mean the basically customer acquisition is just answering those five questions over and over and over and over again. And then tactically, that means that you have a good hook, you have good social proof that might be customer testimonials or a quote from Pop Sugar. You have good explanation of what comes in the box. Maybe you have a UGC video unboxing the product and you see somebody's reaction light up. You know, tactically, that's what it means. But basically, those five questions, any type of content you create organic or ads or you know collabs, like if you're constantly answering those five questions, it can all help work towards sales for your brand.
1: So good. Okay, so when people, we have a lot of people who launch things and they launch the first time and the second time and they're discouraged. They're like, this did not get the traction or numbers I want. And they go back and they, they tweak the product or like an already good product or they go back and try to perfect something else. But really, can you give us a general idea of how much you guys are tweaking things and how much you're testing things and dialing things in before they actually start hitting?
0: Yeah, so the beauty of a channel like Facebook or Instagram, which is probably the the lowest friction channel to get up and running for ads, mm-hmm. is very quickly you can see if something works or it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It only takes maybe a hundred bucks to realize if something is going to get traction or it's not. And the, the few numbers you want to look at are the CPM of the ad, which is the cost per a thousand impressions. You want to look at the click-through rate, which is the CTR, which is how many, what percentage of people see the ad and end up clicking through to your website. And then, you know, those are like two metrics you can look at to basically Mm -hmm. understand, okay, with a hundred bucks, does this ad, does it resonate with the platforms in the sense of... The CPM will tell you how much Facebook likes your ad Mm. or believes it aligns with what Facebook wants to do in terms of giving valuable content to their users or creating ads in a format that Facebook wants to push. So if you have a lower CPM, that means you're doing something that the platform likes Then the click-through rate tells you how much the customer likes what you're doing. So if your click-through rate is, you know, less than half a percent, you're probably not doing something that the customers like. If your click-through rate's over a percent, you're doing something that customers do like. Then as you spend more, you can try to understand things like, you know, cost per website visit, cost per add to cart, customer acquired And all of those metrics will help. But the first two, the CPM and the CTR will directionally help you understand, is this piece of creative even good? And with a hundred bucks, you can put it up and you can test it and you can see. Candidly, there's there's not a lot of like pre-testing that happens on our end before something goes up. Mm -hmm. We make something that we think is gonna do well. Everything is a hypothesis. We put it up and then we see if it actually does well. Mm -hmm. You know, at this point, we've gotten pretty good to where we can know, what will do well or what won't do well. And I'd say 95% of the time we're right. But there are a lot of times where I've seen founders who just struggle to put something up because they think it has to be perfect or it's not good enough to go up as an ad or be a representation of the brand. When in reality, the you know, you shouldn't look for compliments on ads. You should look for compliments being dollars in your pocket transacted on Shopify. So yeah, I think just like I think with organic content that you put out and test and see if something works, I think it's worth just putting it up. You know, the the best way to pre-qualify something is probably testing it on organic actually and seeing if it does well there. Something does well in organic, it'll crush on paid, but doesn't necessarily mean the other way around also applies. But yeah, definitely just put something up and see if it works. And then if it works, you add more spend and you keep running it. You test it with different audiences. You might test it with different landing pages. But if it doesn't work, then you know no harm done. Maybe a couple thousand people saw it, you take it down. Those couple thousand people probably weren't even really engaged in looking at your ad. There's no such thing as doing harm to your brand in that sense. But then you can analyze it. You can say, okay... Let's think about why this one worked and this one didn't. Okay, this one had a better hook. This, this had, you know, I could see the liquids in the beginning, in the first three seconds, it was kind of interesting thing to look at or it caught my attention. And then you can apply that to the next video that you put up. But I, I really do believe that if you're just starting on ads, you really have to figure out what works in the organic sense, especially because every platform now, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, And TikTok, they all give you the waves. You just have to go throw your surfboard out there and ride them. And if you can figure out how to ride these waves, you are now creating content that is contextually native to the platforms that they're in. And then when you run ads, all you're doing is putting more eyeballs on content that you know is already contextually native. It's now not just a billboard in somebody's feed or, you know, just something that's irrelevant to their Scrolling experience—it's something that's entertaining. It's something that's relevant to the platform. It's something that they're there to see. Most mm-hmm. people are on social because they want to be entertained, not because they want to see your billboard. And so, as a brand, if you want to play in that space, you have to figure out how to conform to what works in that platform.
1: In the beginning, you had mentioned positioning when you were choosing between we could work with shitty brands, <laughs> we could go get ten shitty brands, yeah. we go get ten amazing, more premium brands. Yeah. And, you know, making that decision of, because I've made that decision now of I want to be a premium product. I've always like with, what, with our stuff, we've always kind of positioned ourselves in that way. How did you need to show up? What did you me- need to make sure of in order to start positioning yourself in that way?
0: You know, I have this concept of like doing your homework. A lot of people don't like to do their homework and I was definitely one of them. And I think a lot of it just comes down to doing your homework. You know, if you're going to meet with somebody... You got to do your homework. You got to understand when you walk in the room, how are you immediately delivering value? What can you do that's helpful to them, even if they never become a client, especially in B2B, which is this world I live in. I might talk to somebody today, but then they might end up being a client eight months later. And if I didn't do my homework and didn't leave a good first impression or didn't bring them value, you know, I'm not on their mind eight months later when they when they actually need the service. So, I think doing your homework is a really big one. I think being honest is another one. There's a lot of people who will just say whatever they need to say in order to win a deal or say what they need to say in order to try to impress somebody. But it just doesn't work, especially like as, you know, Gen Z is getting more and more into the work field. Gen Z is just as good as any FBI detective, you know, and they'll find out what's real and what's not real. Mm -hmm. But the other thing, too, is like as you do more and more you get more successful, you get better at what you do. You're, you know, you become, let's say top 10 or top five, top 1% of your craft. Like the world gets very, very small and everybody knows everybody. And you just, you know, you have to be known as somebody who puts good things out and says good things about others and does good things for others. And again, not in a transactional way, but for just because that's just who you are as a person.
1: Hmm. So good. Well, Nick, I'm going to make sure we have all of your sites below with a little description of what each one does. And also your podcast, we will link that as well, because that has been so valuable for me, like literally one of the most valuable things I've ever found on this journey of launching a direct consumer product. So thank you, please continue sharing all of your secrets, on Of course. because it's so helpful to people like us. And I'm just really grateful for you for showing up because, man, you have a busy life and you still show up and serve in such a big way. Like truly, you're one of the people who has shown up on this podcast and you're like, I'm here, I'm committed, I'm excited like that. is the most beautiful trait of a person is enthusiasm around anyone that they come in contact with. And you have that. So thank you so much, you guys. One of the biggest things that we can do for Nick is to go subscribe to his podcast, go subscribe to his newsletter. I promise you, you're going to freaking love it. I love it. And let him know what your biggest takeaway was as well. So, so grateful for for you again, Nick. And until next time, everyone earn your happy. Bye-bye.